Good morning, good morning. God bless you as we stand. You guys know the, you know the drill, right? Anybody know what next Sunday is? Feast of what? Tabernacles. So we'll do as we do each year. We'll celebrate that next Sunday morning in here. Uh, as that uh, Feast of the Lord begins actually Friday night sundown. And uh, so we always look forward to that every year. I hope you do as well. Uh, if you turn with me to the book of Luke, the 17th chapter. And I want to read verses 11 through 19. And then I'll tell you why we're entitling this Kissing the Leper. Uh, we're not in our generation, in our time period, familiar. There are still some countries that deal with it. Uh, of the disease leprosy. Uh, leprosy, uh, as stated here in the scriptures, is a terminal disease. It is a metaphor, if you will, uh, and it's been used that way even in scripture as a picture of sin. And, uh, and what leprosy, uh, people that have leprosy, what they don't need is a judge, they need a physician. Uh, they need a healing. Amen? I mean, in other words, you can't, you can't punish leprosy out of somebody, but they can be healed from it. And in Luke 17 and 11, now it happened that he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and there he entered a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It's one of the greatest prayers that any of us can pray. And God's mercy comes on us like rivers, not only on us, but the world in the form of his grace. Uh, and verse 14 says, so he went, when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Notice as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, and that's what cleansed meant, being healed, uh, when he saw that he was healed, he returned with a loud voice, glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan, basically non-Jew, and I'll explain why that's significant. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. God bless you, you can be seated. Uh, I entitled this uh, Kissing the Leper because that inspiration for that comes from a, a person that you may or may not, most preachers have heard of, and that's uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, and he was a uh, Franciscan friar from Italy. He lived in the 13th century. And... Uh, he wrote in his memoirs and in his letters that he had an abhorrence, that's his exact words, to, to lepers. Uh, he had a great fear of them. And uh, he didn't want anything to do with lepers, even though he was technically, or was, in the ministry. And uh, so the story goes, and he wrote this himself, and it's well known. You can Google it. You can read exactly what he said. Uh, not now while I'm preaching, please. Uh, but he said that uh, he was riding his horse, literally, uh, down a road near the city of Assisi, where he lived, and there on the road was a leper. Uh, leprosy, if you don't know, and I'll try not to make it too gross-sounding, but it was a very gross uh, disease. The people are, literally, their bodies are decomposing as they live. Uh, fingers will, would decay and uh, rot off, toes, it would start with those smaller digits and, and it's, it would work its way through the body and keep invading until it took the vital organs and the person died. If the person had leprosy, the, in the Bible, in Leviticus, it gave commands on what they were to do under the law. Uh, if a leper was walking down the road and they were other people coming, they were to cry out three times, unclean, unclean, unclean. And that in a loud voice, that was to signify to the people, 
stay away from me for I have leprosy. Uh, once they were diagnosed with leprosy, they were ostracized to a leper colony, a place where the lepers lived. The reason that was because leprosy was an infectious disease. It was not contagious in the sense that you could get it by breathing the air that a leper breathed out or exhaled, but you could get it if you touched a leper. And, uh, and so that's why that they were so feared by so many. And uh, it was just a horrible, horrible disease, a horrible thing to have happen. And it didn't matter if you were extremely wealthy or had nothing, your life was forever uh, decimated if you were diagnosed with leprosy. And, uh, and the Levitical command was that if a person was declared or thought that they were healed or cleansed of the leprosy, then they were to go as Jews, the Jews were to go show themselves to the priest. Because in that day, only the priest could pronounce them unclean. And the reason that, uh, clean, and, all, and, the, and the reason that's so important, because that's the only way that they could return to society and to their families and to their homes. And, uh, and so they had to have that official uh, pronunciation by the priest and the priest had to examine them. I won't go into all details. They actually had to quarantine them, so to speak, for, for uh, 10 to 14 days and observe them and look at their skin and to give assurance that the leprosy was indeed gone. And once the priest pronounced them clean, then they were good. They could return to their lives and to their family, and it was just a, a wonderful thing to happen. Um, and so St. Francis of Assisi was on his horse. He sees this leper. Uh, he's had a long history of just staying away from these people. And, uh, but when he looked at that and saw this man uh, in the condition that he was in, uh, he wrote that his heart was moved. Uh, that happened to Jesus. He was moved with compassion when he looked out on the multitudes. He saw they were sheep without a shepherd. And, and so he was moved. Uh, you know, the, another verse says, for the love of Christ compels us, Paul said. And so he was compelled. He stopped his horse, literally got off his high horse, so to speak. And he went over to this leper and, 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 and spoke with him. And his heart just melted, he said, uh, looking at his condition. And St. Francis of uh, Assisi actually took the leper. Actually, the leper held his hand out to receive uh, an offering, uh, some money, as they would do. Uh, they had no means of support, no employment, and, and begging was all they could do. So the leper put out his hand. Uh, St. Francis gave him a coin and then took his, uh, his hand and kissed it, therefore the title. But he kissed the leper uh, on his hand. And when he did that, he said inside, uh, he was forever changed, uh, this, this priest, this uh, monk, really, Franciscan monk. And uh, they, where he had stopped was nothing all around but, but thousands of yards of open field. And so he, he kissed the leper, walked back to his horse, he said, uh, to get on his horse. Before he mounted the horse, he turned around to look at the leper again, and, it, and he was gone. He had vanished, disappeared. And St. Francis said that he knew in that moment that he had just kissed Jesus and that it was the Lord himself. And uh, the Lord had appeared to him in that form to change him. Uh, the Lord made many what we call theologically pre-incarnate appearances in the Old Testament, many. Uh, he appeared in a form that Jacob could wrestle with. Uh, he appeared in a form that Abraham uh, could see and, and uh, talk to. Uh, he uh, appeared in a form to Gideon, who actually prepared him a meal on a rock, and the Lord consumed it, and, uh, and uh, he had a great victory and confidence after that, that appearance. And he appeared to Joshua in his conquest of the promised land and so forth and I could go on and on and on about the pre when I say pre-incarnate I mean prior to God becoming man in, in as Jesus but that didn't mean he didn't have he wasn't coming before then um, and and we know when it says the angel of the Lord it was the Lord Jesus himself because he would receive worship from these people 
and no angel will receive worship from man. In fact, if a, you see an occurrence where an angel is tried to be worshipped like uh, even John the Revelator in Revelation, that angel will rebuke that person and say, you worship the Lord God only. Uh, and and uh, But so we see all of that. And, uh, and St. Francis was forever changed by the fact that the Lord had, had appeared. And that's why the Bible tells us, be careful when you entertain angels unaware, because many times, I mean, well, people, because many strangers, many times you've entertained angels. Um, uh, why would God do that? He, 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 he would do that because this man who was in the ministry needed to change his view towards those people. Because the, the least of them, Jesus said, when you do anything to the least, you just done it to me. And so he realized what he had done to the leper, he had done to the Lord. And that's what the New Testament teaches, right? When you do something for anybody, you've done it to the Lord himself. When you, he says, when you go see, he said, you know, you go to prison, you pray for the sick, you visit the sick, you feed the hungry, you give water to those that are thirsty. He said, you, when you've done it to the least of these, you've also done it to me. And you've done it to the Lord. Now, if we really believe that, that's going to change our perspective on stuff. Right? Because when you're looking at people, you're doing it unto the Lord. It's not just people. He's in them and they are in him. Amen. And, and so, uh, but our society marginalizes people. It has people that are outcast. It has people that are social lepers today. And that they marginalize and, you know, well, that's a bum. That's a guy sitting there with a sign or, or you know, and, but they, they don't understand uh, whether it's a disease, whether it's a societal thing or whatever it is, economic thing or whatever it is. But, but, but our heart, it, it, it said that when Jesus saw them, uh, you know, he, they, they were crying, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And, uh, and Jesus says a strange thing to ten leprous men. Now, they're there with sores. Probably many of them, if not all of them, are missing fingers, digits, toes, nose, ears. Those would be the first things that this disease would take away from them. The smell was horrible. Uh, he says, go show yourself to the priest. The only reason you'd go show yourself to the priest is because, number one, you're a Jew. Because the priest wouldn't see anybody else in this time. And also because your appearance was clean. There's no point in showing yourself to the priest if, if you have all the disease still evident. But Jesus says a statement of faith to them. He says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, and it says, as they went. Sometimes your healing don't come instantly. It comes as you just obey God and walk in faith. You just have to, you just have to went. It's bad English, but you understand the meaning. You just have to walk in faith. You just have to say, I've been prayed for by his stripes, I'm healed. And you just have to walk in faith in that. That, it, that my, you know, the, the manifestation of my healing is just going to have to catch up with my body as I keep on walking. Come on, somebody. Yeah, I'm just going to walk in this. I'm going to, every time I feel a pain, I'm going to say, by his stripes, I was healed. Every time I feel that ailment, every time I see that symptom, every time that thing hits me again, I, I, I've said by faith I'm healed in Jesus' name, you know, and, and God made provision. Why put it in the book if it's not possible for us? I mean, why, write, why tell the elders to anoint the sick with oil? Let them call for the elders and the, those that are sick, and we'll anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and raise them up. And then the next thing people worry about that blocks them from receiving by faith the free thing that God's provided for them, which is healing by grace, is, well, I don't deserve to be healed because I did this sin or I did that sin or I'm a sinner. And it says, this is in James 5, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let the elders anoint them with oil. Pray the prayer of faith. The Lord shall save the sick. The Lord shall save the sick and raise them up. Next verse, if they've committed sin, it shall be forgiven them. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. You're not earning anything. Sometimes you just need to speak out the things that's, that, that's blocking you from receiving. The reason you're talking to elders, some people ain't got no elders. Y'all don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. You can't have an elder if you ain't got a church. <laughs> Who you going to call? Ghostbusters? Come on, somebody. <laughs> if you're sick, it says call for the elders. 
Well, you ain't got no elders if you don't have a church family because that's your elders. My elders are sitting all right here. And call for those elders. And they'll anoint you with oil. Why with oil? Because the Bible says so. If he just said anoint them with 10W30, that's what we'd be doing. This is not magic. This is not an incantation. It's not got nothing to do with the oil. It's got to do with the faith in, the, in Jesus. But it's symbolic. It's a, it's a type of the anointing of the, of the healing oil, the mercy that flows and runs down us, down our beard and down our garments. Come on, somebody. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. And in faith, they just started walking. And as they walked, as they went, all of a sudden, an amazing thing happened. That leprosy that was in their bodies left them. And, 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 and when they saw in themselves, oh my God, what a video. I can't wait to get to heaven and check that one out. I'm going to check out. You know there's a whole DVD section in heaven you can check out and watch all this stuff, right? So when I get to heaven, I'm going to check this one out. I want to see for myself their reaction. And as they saw that they were healed, uh, one of them returned. Now, a lot of preachers are kind of beat up, denying stuff. And Jesus does say, where is the nine? And our hearts should be filled with absolute gratitude. If you had a terminal disease and you're going to die, and it's just a matter of time. And, and that is taken from you and healed. Come on, somebody. You, 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 that's, you normally don't do a, well, thank you, Jesus, kind of praise. You don't normally do that kind of praise. It says, with a loud voice, one of them. He ran back to Jesus. And he fell on his face at his feet. And it says with a loud voice, he began to praise God. Now, the reason this guy came back, because he can't really show himself to the priest. Because the priest is not going to receive him because he's a Samaritan. Samaritans were people that were, uh, Samaritan is considered by the Jewish people as a Gentile. They're, they're, they're uh, married. They may be married to a Jew, but they're Gentile themselves, and so it's the Samaritans. It's a, you know, it's a culture. It's a racial thing, really. Uh, Jesus remember talking to the woman at the well was a Samaritan woman, and she said, "What are you being a Jew? Uh, uh, not only a man, but what are, what are you being a Jew speaking to me for? Because Jews don't talk to people like me." And Jesus just said, woman, woman, if you knew who you was talking to, you would ask me and I'd give you a drink that you wouldn't ever thirst anymore. How many knows Jesus don't see no uh, racial lines or barriers or uh, any of that stuff? That's all religion and man that comes up with that. And so uh, he fell at his feet and he worshiped and magnified him. And Jesus does say, where, where there are not ten cleansed, where are the nine? And Jesus' heart was so moved by this man's thankfulness and this praise. And, and not because he had to have it like he's some egomaniac, but just seeing the joy flowing out of this man over the, 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 what God wanted in the first place is this man to be healed. And it says, that, that, uh, he, it says in verse 19, And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's New King James. If you're reading the King James, it will say, your faith has made you whole. That word whole there, translated into English whole or well here, is the Greek word sozo. And so sozo means uh, totally whole, spirit, soul, and body. And that's God's plan and design and desire for us, is to be healed and not just to have your, your skin disease go away but to have your heart disease go away, to have your brain thinking messed up go away. God wants you whole. You, you know, it, it, it don't, it, it's a temporary help just to get your skin disease, you know, to clear up. If, you, if your mind don't clear up, of how you see God yourself in the world, or you don't understand, that's the soul area. But, but sozo, that's the literally meaning of the word. It means to be healed in your body, for your soul to be renewed, and for your spirit to be alive to God. It's a triune wholeness. Uh, and, and that's what God wants. Paul prayed that same thing. He said, I pray that you be preserved holy before God, spirit, soul, and body. And see, a lot of times we just don't see. When you're looking at lepers, we just don't see it. And when you, when you, when you can touch somebody. See, I remember the first time I ever went on a mission trip. And I'm not a missionary per se as the, as the world today defines them. But, but I remember I went to... Um, to the Yucatan Peninsula, and we went to minister uh, to, in, to, in the Zona Maya, to the Mayan Indian people. And, um, 
And so I, I went on this trip, and, and, and I'm there. You know, I'm there to help them. That's the mentality, uh, particularly of Americans. We go in there like the, we're the colonial messiahs. We're coming in there to, to help y'all, you know, poor people. We're coming in there. And, and, I, and, and any trip, and I've only been on a few, but I'm the one that came away ministered to, not them. And so when we went in there and when we flew into Cancun, and that's, Cancun is a made-up city for tourists. That's not Mexico. That's Disney World. Come on. And it's fine. I, you know, and I was probably, I'm probably still hurt because I didn't get to, to play. I had to get in what's called a combi, which is what they call a van, and go four hours into the interior, into the jungle of the Yucatan, where people still live in grass or thatch-roof huts dirt floors and wood stick walls and that world still exists and there are people there uh, that have never heard the name of Jesus one time uh, we didn't encounter those on my trip but my son that's that drummer that was his birthday uh, he went on a trip that I didn't go on and and they went into a village called the three kings and there uh, he they met people that had never one time heard the name Jesus uh, not many people can speak Mayan a lot of people can speak Spanish. And so imagine me preaching. Obviously, I'm preaching in English. And, uh, and my interpreter is taking my English and translating it into Spanish. And standing behind him is my precious Mayan pastor, Pastor Alfredo, who is with the Lord now, standing there. Uh, and he now is listening to the Spanish because he don't understand English. He's li- but he understands Spanish. And Pastor Alfredo is hearing Spanish. And now he is saying my words in Mayan to Mayan people who don't speak nothing but Mayan. And I'm waiting on him to get through. I got this preach, preach, to, you know, I'm like, and it's really hard for me to do that. I remember we went into a village and they had told us to carry candy, you know, for the children. And we went into the village and, and we, we get out and, and, and we, we couldn't Facebook them or text them that we were coming. We, we couldn't call them and tell them we're coming. They didn't even know. And when you get to the villages, there's no one in the villages but women and children for the men are out in the, in the jungle or, or trying, trying to make, you know, bring food home of some kind. They're trying to be industrially and bring something home to the family. And so they're all pretty much away unless they're elderly or sick. And you just go there and you get out and you stand around a while and word spreads quickly that Americans are there, and they start coming from everywhere. And they started coming, and so uh, the children are just coming. And they had seen American missionaries before, and so they know we're coming with gifts and blessings, so I start giving candy. Now, they had told us, my, our, our guide had said, give you know, you know, each child two or three, you know, two couple, couple of pieces. And Jill would tell you, I was taking handfuls and dumping handfuls because my heart... Is just messed up. So, and I told them how to do their shirts and pull their shirt up to make a little bowl. And I was filling up their shirts where they could go with a bowl of candy. And the mission, our guide, our leader, he, he saw me doing all that. And he come over and tapped me on the shoulder because I'm knelt down and I'm like, all these children, these, these Mayan children. And just to see their faces, I don't understand nothing, but I understand their heart. And I understand the blessing that was to them. And so, uh, he tapped me and he said, uh, Pastor Young, uh, this is our first village. We've got many villages to go to. You're not going to have any candy to give if you don't, you know, do like we ask you. He said, you need to back it off. Uh, I said, okay. And I was going crazy in the first village. And then I watched the children. I thought, well, you hand them candy, they're just going to rip into it and down it, you know, like American kids do. I noticed they wasn't eating the candy. And I asked the translator, I said, why are they not eating the candy? (laughs) He said, they're saving it for their parents when they come home. He said, they share it with all their family. And uh, he said, uh, they just won't devour it themselves. They'll wait and he said, it's such a treat to them. And he said, this is probably the only time this will happen, you know, in a year or so. And then he said, if you go in those huts with stick walls, dirt floors, and hammocks, they sleep in hammocks. And that way it keeps you at a little higher level than the snakes are. 
This is real jungle, not fake jungle. This is real jungle. And he said, and so we went into some of the huts, and you can look between the, the sticks, the walls, and you'll see pieces of uh, candy paper that they've stuck in there. And he said, you see that? And they pull that out every now and then and just unfoil it and remember the day that you came and the gift you gave. And they hang on to it like a memento of that day. What gets you when you go on a mission trip and you're there to help them, but what happens is that you see people living in abject poverty and have nothing, none of the conveniences we have, yet when it came worship time, they worship off the chart. And their worship is elevated, and, and you can't understand the language, but your body still gets chill bumps because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, no matter what the language. And I was forever changed in myself just by touching those seemingly social lepers, so to speak. It's like Thomas. They told Thomas, man, you missed a great service last Sunday, Thomas. You should have been here. Come on, y'all. They said the Lord had walked through the wall and talked to us. Thomas said, Man, I don't believe word of it. You know, and then the commentators call him Doubting Thomas. How many knows it don't say Doubting Thomas on his birth certificate, okay? <clears throat> but when you doubt one time, people will label you. When you mess up one time, people will put a label in front of your name. But, but the commentaries refer to him as Doubting Thomas. I'm sure Thomas don't like that. Uh, he seemingly only had one moment of doubt, and now he's known as that. But they said he did show up, Thomas, and, and we saw him. Thomas said, I will not believe a word of it unless I can put my finger in the nail holes and thrust my hand into his side. And so when Thomas had said that to them, the Lord made another appearance, and he calls Thomas by name. Do you know that God's able to give you whatever you need to believe in him? See, what you need to believe in him and have faith in him is different than maybe what your neighbor on the other side of the church needs to get from God to believe in him. But I want to tell you, God loves you enough that he'll provide. He knows what you need. If you need him to yell, he'll, he knows how to yell. If you need him to whisper, he knows how to whisper. God will come. If you need him to come in the form of a leper to touch that part in your heart that needs healing, he can show up just like a leper. So he says, Thomas, behold, put your finger in the nail holes. Thrust your finger into my side. And when Thomas touched the scars of Jesus, who got changed? Thomas did. What was his response? This is his words. My Lord and my God. He had a revelation of who this man was. See, why does Jesus after resurrection still have scars? I get that question a lot. Because Jesus wants you to see that he is a co-suffering Savior with you. He suffered not only as you, but he suffers with you. And that's not a 2,000-year-old event. When you have loss in your family, Pastor Johanna's uncle just went to be with the Lord Friday morning, and she's had loss in her heart. Uh, but we know where he is, and our confidence is in that. But it still hurts, and the Lord suffers, because he knows what it is to co-suffer and lose family members. When he was on this earth as, as a man, he lost his dad, Joseph, and he didn't raise him from the dead. He couldn't do that then because he hadn't even been endued with that on high. That happened when he did his baptism at 30. So sometime between 12 years old and 30 years of age, Jesus' earthly dad, Joseph, if you will, passed away. Either slowly or suddenly, we do not know. But Jesus had to go to that funeral. He had to see his dad's body entombed. He had to walk home as the eldest brother with his arms around his mama, Mary, and have all his siblings his half-brothers and sisters, if you will, to be cared for. And then he ceased to be the son of the carpenter. He was known from that point forward as the carpenter until one day at a baptism service in the Jordan when he got baptized by his first cousin, John the Baptist. And the heavens opened, were ripped open, literally is what it says. And that 
cry of that prophet, Isaiah 64.1, O God, that thou would rend the heavens and come down, was finally answered. And it literally says in the Greek, the Lord ripped the heavens apart. He opened what had been seemingly closed. And he come down in a bodily form as a dove. And he descended upon the Son, Jesus. And he remained there, it says. And with a voice that was audible to all the crowd at that baptism service, he said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember at this time, Jesus has never preached a sermon. He has not healed not one person. He has not walked on water. He has not cleansed a leper. He has not raised the dead. He has been a blue-collar worker up to this moment in a carpenter shop. And yet his papa says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God's pleased with you whether you're preaching or painting. God's pleased with you because you're his kid. Come on now. God's pleasure don't come from you doing Christian service or Christian ministry. God loved me before I was a preacher. Come on, somebody. And so everything changed that day. And we see, we see the Trinity in, 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 in full form. The Father speaks audibly. Some people heard God talk another time audibly like that. And some people said that was God. And he said that was his son. Hear ye him. And other people standing around said, no, that was just thunder. There will always be people to try to ascribe a natural uh, occurrence to something that's supernatural. There will always be people in the church and around the church don't believe in healing, don't believe in the power of God, don't believe that God can do great things. But it don't matter what they believe, just what you believe, that's what matters. You, you, got to, you, you still got to believe in a God that heals, saves, delivers, sets free, because that's who he is. And God's always trying to get us to see differently. In Revelation 3, Jesus told the church of Sardis, he said, he said uh, anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. See, that's our problem. We see, we see lepers, but we don't see Jesus in the leper. That's why we don't kiss the leper, because if we knew Jesus was in there, we would kiss the leper. And by kissing the leper, it's not so much for the leper, but it's for the person. See, when Thomas touched somebody that was, had scars, it changed Thomas. When you go to like when we went to Zone of Mind and you touch those people, you're the one that comes changed. That's why the scripture said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, either that's true or that's a lie. Now, most people read that in the peripheral reading and they go, that's not true. I'd rather receive than give. I'd rather receive. How? But the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because once you give, and it ain't talking about just money. It includes that. But when you give, give what? Give a prayer. Give love. Give a hug. Give your time. Give your attention. When you give, you're the one that comes away changed. I remember when, when I went to Bulgaria. And that's a third world country and communism was effect. And I went in not too long after the wall came down and it was... And, 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 and the problem was when the communists uh, got out of Bulgaria, the mafia came in. And I didn't know that as an American. And I, I talked to people in that, in that church, and, and they literally said it was better and safer when the communists was here. We as Americans going, yeah, they got them dirty communists out of there. And the people were left scared. And your business, if you don't cough up money to the mafia, then all of a sudden your building catches fire. Or your, one of your loved ones goes missing. It was a strange world. And I learned a lot there. And I, and I, met, I met gypsies. I'd only seen gypsies in TV programs. And, I, and that's what they're called. And, they're, and I met gypsies. And they're the lowest on the echelon of societal standing. People stay away from gypsies. And they're, they're filthy. And, they're nasty, and all the things that, 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 that the pastor there told me that how people. And yet in that church, we had Turkish people because Bulgaria borders Turkey. So we had Turkish people, Bulgarian people. We had gypsies. And we even had a white boy from America. All worshiping God together. And man, they could get their praise on. And they would say, well, we're going to carry you out tomorrow. Pastor Young and your team, we're going to carry you to, to the villages. Well, see, I've been in Zona Maya, so I'm thinking village. 
I mean, I know y'all know villages over here. They carried me to a town as big as Valdosta and called it a village. Strange world. Uh, I saw people that worshipped in houses, house churches. I had actually experienced that when I was a young boy. My granddaddy was a holiness preacher. They called it, and they would have cottage prayer meetings. They called them cottage prayer meetings. See, none of y'all old enough to even know nothing about that. But that's just when you have a prayer meeting and somebody gathers at somebody's house. And every bedroom and room will be full, and the preacher will be in one bedroom, and you just have to stand in your room and listen to it because you can't see. You can, but I, I experienced that, and that's kind of the way it was there. I remember when I was in Bulgaria, me and Jill, that first one we went to, and, and those people touched my heart so much. Their love, their passion for the Lord. And I noticed in their yards, they don't have a lot of grass. I'm joking, they don't have none. And if there's any dirt available in that yard, uh, they've got a tomato plant growing or something to eat because food's important. And I, I remember they, we, they did communion. <clears throat> they said, we're going to do communion. No little cups like we do. Little thimble shot glasses like we do. None of that. They don't know, the Bulgarians don't know nothing about that. They give you a glass and their glass that they give you, unbeknownst to us Americans, they didn't warn us at the time, it's not Welch's from Publix. It is the real deal. It is wine from the vine, fermented fully. <clears throat> and so they hand me a glass, so I'm thinking Welch's from Publix grocery store. They said, take the wine. And they're looking at me like, what do you expect it to be? I thought I expected it to be Welch's from Publix. Everything's different in different places. I met a little lady that walked miles and miles, an older lady, bent over lady, and come many miles. And Maria Mendeva that I met, she said, uh, she walks all the time. We to church, even in winter. Uh, I remember there was a church. The church is in Linux. I'm just going to be transparent. I don't think it matters to uh, people in Linux. Probably ain't listening to me preach to anyone. <clears throat> but there's a church in Linux that I used to preach to often when I was an evangelist. When I say often, I mean I preached at this church every month for three years, never missed a month. During that three-year tenure, I ran two two-week revivals, revivals that went two weeks at a time. I was very close with this pastor, his wife, and that congregation, you can imagine. And when I would go once a month to preach there, I would preach, we would go, Jill and I, and I'd preach Sunday morning, I would hang over, and, uh, and then I would preach Sunday night service. Three years of that, you can imagine how close and how well I knew those people. I'm like part of the family. Now, when I started Cornerstone Church in March of 91 in Sparks, that ended that relationship. Now, we got it straightened out later, but at that point, then I'm no longer a traveling itinerary evangelist. I'm a pastor, and that can make me a threat because I was close enough from Sparks to Linus that they could drive to my church, and a few people did, none of which I ever asked but the pastor was not pleased initially that I started a church in obedience to God. And he was so clear on that that he drove to my house to tell me that in person and told me that I was an evangelist, that I was missing God, that I wasn't called to be no pastor. And I said, I am called to be a pastor, but thank you for coming, <laughs> kind of deal. So you can imagine that cut that relationship completely off and broke my heart. Years go by. There was a little lady in Nashville. I've given you the testimony. Her name was Sister Crook. She came to a service I was preaching at in Enigma, Georgia, which is in Berrien County, and she came up for prayer with a walker. The night she did that, my mind was extremely scattered. My wife was in ICU hospital with strider tracheal edema. She had passed out literally in my arms from tracheal edema and strider. Her windpipe had closed up. A very frightening thing. I wanted to counsel the revival. She said, no, I'm, I'm doing better. Go to the revival. It's close. Go to the revival. 
And so I went to the revival. I'm not thinking too much. My, I'm, I got three kids at home. My mom's helping me. I'm trying to be Mr. Mom. I'm, my brain's really scattered. I hadn't had a whole lot of time to pray that day. And I never even met the pastor. But they asked me. It was a wholeness Baptist church. And I went there and I was preaching revival. That night a lady come down in a walker for prayer. And she said she wanted prayer. She didn't even say she wanted prayer to be healed. She just said she wanted prayer. So that was good enough for me. I laid my hands upon her in faith, and I prayed that she would be sozoed, whole, every whit whole, spirit, soul, body. She went home that night. She had a degenerative bone disease. Her bones were decaying at the joints. That's why she had already been reduced to walking with a walker. The, the medical staff had told her she was suffering from this for years. They said, before long, your bones will completely give way. You will be bedridden, and from, bed, from the bed, you will not be able to get back up any further. Then you, we're going to be fighting pneumonia, blood clots, and eventually that will, you will go home from here. That was her prognosis and diagnosis. So she, you know, she come to that meeting. I never met the woman. Her name was Sister Crook. She came that night, and some of you heard me give a testimony. She wanted me to pray for her. I prayed for her. Um, and so I, nothing happened, no lightning bolts, nothing. She, I prayed for her. I prayed for a man that was standing by her side. I knew he was, had some relation to her. He, he was standing there closely with her. And uh, seemed to be family. I don't know if it was husband. I didn't know. He wanted prayer. And he wanted prayer for uh, bleeding ulcers. And I prayed for him. And again, no lightning bolts. He didn't fall down. I didn't jump up. You know, we, we just doing, we, we doing, in, we, we walking in faith. The next night I come in, sit on the front row. My, I'm by myself. My wife's in the hospital. And Sister Crook, which I, I just wasn't paying attention, she comes up to me. And she says, she looks at me, and I'm sitting where my wife is. I'm at pew at that church. And she says, do you notice anything different about me, uh, Reverend Young? Reverend Young, she called me. I don't like to be called Reverend, but that's what they did. She said, Reverend Young, you notice anything different? And so I've been married a long time. And that's not a question a man ever answers when a woman asks it. Not if he's wise. And so I'm not going to do that. So I just looked at her, and I'm delaying, trying to think how I'm going to respond. She says, my walker, my walker. I'm going to never forget it. My walker, my walker. And I'm thinking, I don't have it. I haven't seen it. She said, Brother Young, when I got up this morning, every morning in my life, she said, I pull my walker to my bedside. I push on it, and I stand up, and I am in pain every day of my life. And she said, the doctors had told me every day, if I possibly could, to walk the block around my home in Nashville, Georgia, where I live in the city. Walk the block, and it will make my muscles stronger, and my muscles will compensate from, from my bone problems, and I will last longer. So I am disciplined to walk every day, weather permitting, around my block. I make one, and that's all I can do, one, one pass around, and I've been doing it for years. She said, when I got up this morning and pushed on my walker, I have no pain in my body, and I know I'm healed. I was so touched by that. The next day, she's so disciplined, she does her block walk. There is friends and family and people that watched her for two years walk that block. And so a lady looks out and sees Sister Crook come by without a walker at a normal gait and normal speed. She runs back in the house, tells her husband, Sister Crook just came by without her walker walking normal. He said, oh, you crazy. You, you can't see good. She said, I'm telling you, that's Sister Crook. So she said, I'm going to chase her down. She runs out of her house, go, runs, and catches up with her. And in fact, it was Sister Crook. And Sister Crook gave her the testimony. That, that, that just couldn't believe it. That, Sister Crook brought that woman to my church in Sparks. Just so happened we was having a Sunday night service and going to have a little meal together afterwards. So that woman came, Sister Crook got up in our church that night, gave the testimony of total healing in her body and confirmed by the doctors. And so then when we went back to eat our peanuts and our potato chips and all that church stuff, you know, that we have in the back. Then that woman came and sat right by me in a, in a, in a chair. We had the chairs in a little social. She came and sat right by me, Sister Crook's neighbor. And I'll never forget that. Now I'm sitting there as a young preacher. I got my plate. And this woman comes, sits right by me. It ain't my wife. I was saving that seat for Jill. This woman comes, sits right by me. And then she just starts looking me up and down. And just looking me up and down. 
And it hit my mind, the reason she's looking at me, because she can't figure out how me healed such a crook. And I didn't heal her. But I was used to heal her. And it hit my mind, but see, back then, I do it now. I'm bold enough now, but back then I was so shy, that, you know, that I would, I, what I wanted to say, but I was too chicken, I wanted to say, woman, why do you now yet gaze at me as if my, my own strength and my own power, I have made this woman whole this before? I, you know, I, should, <laughs> I mean, I, should, I wanted to do that. For it is by the name of Jesus that she stands before, you know, I wanted to do that, but I was too scared. Because that's all Bible. It's what the apostles did, and that's what I should have done. But I didn't. Sister Crook lived all the days of her life, never had any more trouble with that. And she thought anytime she got a sniff, all she got to do call me and I can heal her. And I'm serious. And, and, uh, and I did not know. Now, I hadn't forgotten my Linux story. I did not know that Sister Crook had wrote in her will, her last will and testament, that when she passed, I was to preach her funeral. That the funeral home was to track me down and I was to preach her funeral no matter. So now I'm pastoring and I am not itinerant preaching. I hadn't talked to Sister Crook in years and didn't even know she had passed. And she passed away. The funeral director called me and said, the family's going to be visiting, you know, Sunday afternoon. And then the funeral will be, you know, Monday or whatever it was. And, and I said, I'd be honored to preach it. So I went Sunday afternoon. So we had church at Cornerstone. Me and my wife dressed in our Sunday clothes. You know, we went, drove, we went and eat, went straight to the funeral home uh, in Nashville. Met the, the family, which I had never met. But they all knew me when I walked in. That's why you don't want to heal our mama. And in Jesus' name, you know, Jesus didn't say pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. So it's okay. I met all of them, tried to catch up with the family. And at 11 o'clock the next day, I'm going to do the funeral. That's why I'm at the funeral home. Don't forget Bulgaria. I'm walking back to my truck. Now, I'm tired at this time. We didn't have Sunday night services in those days, like now, and honestly, I enjoyed that. And I wanted to get home, get out of that church suit, and uh, just relax. And I was walking to my truck, and I heard a voice that I've recognized many times. It's not always this clear nor profound, but the Lord said to me, Dale, go to Linux Christian Fellowship tonight. I thought that's so strange. I hadn't been at that church in years. I did not necessarily feel welcome back up there. The, the, the relationship had been estranged since I started pastoring. And the Lord did not repeat it. He just said, go to, that, go to Linux Christian Fellowship. I told my wife, I said, I just heard the Lord speak to me to go to that church. Don't take your church dress off just yet. Because it wasn't going to be too long. We're going to be leaving again. And I said, I, I believe we're supposed to go to Linux Christian Fellowship. She said, well, why ain't we going up there? And I said, I don't know. She, I said, let me go in the prayer room and pray. And just don't take your dress off and I'll come back and tell you. Am I telling the truth? And so I, she's in there. I don't know what she's doing. I go in there and I lay in the floor. Oh, God. You know, I'm trying to pray. I'm saying, God, please tell me, you know. And he don't talk to me. Normally, God, once he tells you to do something, that's pretty much all you're going to get. I've learned that. And so he don't never reply to nothing. He don't say, thou shalt go. I mean, none of that. So he don't talk to me no more. He just told me to go. That's all he said. He said it one time. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? I bet why the Lord wants me to go is because he's going to reconcile the relationship between me and the pastor. The Holy Ghost is going to fall like a bomb. It's just going to be awesome if I go. But I said, I just can't walk in without calling the pastor and asking permission to come in. Because I wouldn't do that to him out of respect. So I called the pastor. And I said, Brother Jimmy, this is Brother Dale. I, I just feel like I'm supposed to, you know, come and be with you. I didn't say the Lord, none of that. I just said, I feel like I'm supposed to come be with you. Now, I'd like to come be with you in service tonight. I just want to make sure that's okay. He said, well, Brother Young, we'd be glad to have you. He said, but... Currently, the power's off at the church. We've had a thunderstorm, but I trust by 6 o'clock it'll be back on. But yeah, we'll be glad to have you tonight. He said, I want to just say this to you, but we're, we're having a missionary tonight. And I uh, just wanted you to be aware of that, but you're welcome to, to be with us. I said, okay. That threw me off. I hung up the phone, man. I'm like, missionary? I don't want to go see no slides or nothing tonight. And how's there going to be reconciliation if I, you know, got a missionary? That don't make no sense to me. And Jill's like, on the prayer room, you know, 
are we going or not? Can I take his dress off me? What are we doing? And I said, we, we go into church up there tonight. I may never know why we're supposed to go, but I'm supposed to go. So we go, we go to the church. When pastor comes to take over the service, he says, well, we're glad to have brother and sister uh, Young with us in the, in the service tonight. And he said, brother Dale, stand up and say a word. Now, I, I think this is my moment. The Holy Ghost is going to fall on me. I'm going to say something profound. It's just going to be like fire. I stood up, and it was the biggest garblingest mess you ever heard. It's like I had just learned to talk yesterday. Literally, it just, I felt like the words just dribbled, slobbered out, and run down my jacket and down to the floor. It was the biggest mess. I mean, I, I sat down, and I was like, stupid, stupid, stupid. I really, I'm, I'm not, I just felt like that was the most unanointed, dumbest statement. I don't even know what I said, but I know I hated it. I know what they talk about it. And I'm sitting there in the pew, and then I'm just scoot on down, you know, about six. I mean, I feel like an idiot. What am I doing here? They do all their stuff, introduce this, sing this, do that. And then they introduce a lady about this tall named Maria Mendeva from Bulgaria. She takes the pulpit. She can barely see over it. When she took the pulpit, the power of the Lord come on me strong. Every hair of my body went to attention. And that same voice that told me, Go, now said in my ear, this is why I've sent you. Help her. That's all he said. This is for this is why I've sent you. Help her. The power of God was on me so strong I knew it was the Lord. As soon as the service was over, there was a couple from Atlanta that was her contact. And, and so I, I wanted to go straight to her, but I'm a man of protocol, so I went to, to her leader's. And I, and I said to, to, to them, I, I want to help her, and I want you to, I want y'all to come to the church as soon as possible. He said, Brother Young, now you can help us, which means you can write a check anytime. But you can help us, and that would be wonderful and such a blessing. But she's uh, booked for next Sunday, and then she's flying back to Bulgaria on that Monday. And it'll have to be the next time she comes, and she only comes to the States every three years or two or three years or so. I said, man, I'm so disappointed. I just really felt that she was to come. And he said, well, I tell you what, give me your card and the information, and I'll send you some stuff how you can help us in our ministry. And if something was to happen, I'll call you. I got a call Wednesday of that week and said, we got our meeting for this weekend canceled. We will come to Sparks to be with you. She came to my church. Um, she spoke. She didn't beg, ask, nothing. When she got through talking, we took up an offering for $26,000 is what we took up in that one offering for that woman. Uh, that's not the first time we did it. We did it again, and we did it three times, so much so that we built a two-story uh, Bible training center, of which I flew to Bulgaria later to Dobrich and dedicated it and had the privilege of preaching the first message in the building. We wasn't trying to build it. We were trying to help. help do. And then each month I asked I went to her apartment that she lived, and I asked the people, and you know, helped and helped us understand the language. And I said, "What is her total cost for her to live, and not survive, but live and have food and pay rent and electricity in Bulgaria in this apartment?" And it was a nice by the standards of. I said, "What does it cost?" They told me seven hundred and fifty dollars a month. I said, "I'm paying that. I'm paying all her cost." And we did it for years as a church family. We paid every month. We sent and covered her expenses so she had no burden of raising anything for her own livelihood. And we did it for seven years, I believe it was. Um, and my point in all that's not bragging on nothing but Jesus. Now listen to me. Look at me. Listen. I'm fixing to close it. Boy, I had a good sermon I wrote down today, but I, I didn't sit and get into it. Now, if, if what I just told you is true, there's something awesome in that. God spoke to me to go help a woman from Bulgaria because God knows the woman needed help. He didn't send me to a place of comfort, place of ease, place that would even be easy, but he trusted me to obey him. And as hard-headed as, as I am, I, I 
I did it. And I was so glad I did. But my life was forever changed by that. Can I tell you that God knows where you are? He knows your address in Valdosta. He knows wherever you live, wherever you're from. He knows whether you're male or female. He knows what you need. Now, I'm not saying he's going to do it like this, but if God would move on me, who hadn't even been there in years, and who had a tendency not to even want to do nothing but go home, take your church clothes off, and rest, but to go to a church that I hadn't been to in years, and for the sole purpose, and he said, help that woman. Apparently, God does like women in ministry. Who knew? Somebody tell some other denominations. He likes women in ministry. He likes women preachers. And in fact, when I went there to Bulgaria, I looked at Maria, and I saw all that she was doing and the different churches that looked to her and this little short uh, Bulgarian woman. And I said, you know, you're doing the work. You're an apostle. And she said, I don't believe in that. I said, well, that's good. Just keep on not believing in it because it don't make no difference because that's what you're doing anyhow. You are doing the work of an apostle. You are planting churches, pastoring churches, training leaders. You are doing it, girl. You're doing it. And so don't worry about it. And don't try to get you, you a tag on your car that says apostle. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. And, and you know, I remember when I was preaching there, they, uh, she said, you know, she said the secret, the secret uh, Bulgarian police will, will be listening. They, they may very well and probably will be present in the service to monitor what you will say. She said, when you talk to, back to America on your phone, uh, talk, you know, don't give them a lot of information. So Justin called when I was in Bulgaria, I called him, and he could tell he was asking me questions, and I couldn't really answer him freely, and he, and, but he knows me so good. He said, Daddy, there's something wrong. He said, if you don't tell me what's going on right now, I'm going to get on a plane, and I'm going to come into Bulgaria. That's how he, he meant that. And I said, well, I'm just going to tell you, son. She told me that the you know, Bulgarian Secret Service and police and all might be listening. So, hello, Bulgarian police. But, uh, but I said, that's why I was talking like that. But I said, we're having a great time here. Everything's good. Don't worry. Everything's different in different places. What I'm telling you to do today is when you see a leper, kiss the leper. When you see somebody thirsty, even if they're your enemy, you think, give them a drink. Give them a hug. Can I pray for you? Or whatever it is. Just, just, just be that. And do you know who's going to come away changed? You will. When you touch somebody that's got scars, it's your scars and it's your heart that gets healed. Every little mission trip I've ever been on, I thought I was going in there to help them people. I'm the one that got help when I went. <laughs> I'm the one that came away changed because I touched people and I worshiped with them. And I heard one time Jensen Franklin called this story. He said that that's what he would call when that guy came running back and fell at uh, his feet. And I had Jensen to preach for me when I was in Sparks. See what a big shot I am. And, and, and Jensen came and, and he preached. And he didn't preach about this that night. But he said, uh, he said, that's what you call leper worship. Leper worship. Never heard that phrase. It's not in the Bible. He made it up. And, uh, but he said, leper worship is different than regular worship. Because if you've been about dead and you've been healed, your worship takes on a whole different dynamic. And you might be louder than the person on the other side that you're doing. Because he said leper worship is louder than regular worship. I end with this. Jesus went into a home. And he'd go into Sinner's home that got him in trouble. He's, having, he's dining with Sinner. He went into a home of a guy named Simon who was a Pharisee. That's the people that's going to eventually use their authority to try to get Jesus crucified, and they do. But he went into the home of a Pharisee. That meant he would go into big shot religious people's houses and have dinner with them. And he's in Simon the Pharisee's home, 
And then while he's in his home, a woman comes in who it says in Scripture was a sinner. She was a known prostitute. She comes in, and she's weeping, and she's crying, and she brought an alabaster box of ointment. She breaks it. She pours it on Jesus' uh, head and feet and anoints his body and, and begins to weep and to worship him. And now Simon is sitting there, big shot Pharisee, and he's sitting there saying, if this man was real uh, a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. And Jesus immediately knew his thoughts, and he looked at Simon and said, Simon, he says, I want to ask you something. If somebody uh, owed a person $50, I'm going to put it in our terminology, and if somebody owed another person $50,000, but the one they owed it to forgave them both of the debt, which of those do you imagine would be more grateful? He said, uh, well, Rabbi, the one who owed more, I suppose, would be more thankful. He said, you have judged rightly, Simon, for this woman has been forgiven of much, therefore she loves much. And he looked and he pointed to the woman and he said these words, these words pierced my heart years ago. He says this in the scriptures, he says, Simon, do you see this woman? See, that was the problem. His religion had put religious scales and marginalized people and boxed people in categories. And, and he didn't see people no more as people. He saw them as objects and this and that. He said, but Jesus said, do you see this woman? Since this woman has come in this house, she has not failed but to wash my feet. You ain't washed my feet, nor offered me water. She has anointed my head with oil. You have put no oil upon my head. She has not ceased but to weep and worship. You've not cried one tear, nor said one thing in gratitude. You don't see her. That's why some people do what we call sometimes crazy worship. Because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what God has brought them out of. You don't know the circumstances that they've been through. And I... See my little precious woman right here. <laughs> and y'all see her up here twirling around. Come in here. Y'all see her twirling around. And my, what that lady doing? You don't know what she's been through. You don't know that she lost a husband under horrible circumstances. And the Lord brought her through that time. And she's, she, you don't know what she's been through. So when I see her twirling, I'm like, twirl on. I'm just like, twirl on. Because I, cause, you know, what, what's that woman up front, you know, and, and she, 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 why is she up front twirling? She ain't trying to be seen by y'all. She's trying to be seen by her master. Because it's a testimony of what she's, what, 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 she, what she's been through. <laughs> what she's been through. I remember, you know, I, when I hadn't been here all that long, and, and you know, you came and, 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 we, we transferred you over here. You transferred over. And, and been in Jerusalem. How many years were you in Jerusalem and in Israel? Seven years. Intercession and prayer. And yet God told her to come as an intercessor and come to, come to this church. Because as soon as I came and to pray for me. And she's, you've been faithful with that. She's been faithful with that. I love you. <laughs> Y'all stand. Let's go find some lepers and kiss them. Amen. Let's be that church that'll do that. Okay. Lord, I pray you would anoint our eyes as we anoint them in your name. That we would really see like you told the church of Sardis. Anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. I pray that the religious scales will go from all of our eyes. And that we will not see people as lepers or bums or black or white or orange or gray or anything. We would see Jesus in those people. We would stare at them and see them. And we would be like uh, St. Francis. That we would, we would get off our high horse. And we would kiss the leper. Not realizing that in that moment it was actually you that we were kissing. And it was you that we were serving. And then it was you that we were ministering to. And it was you that we went and visited in prison. And it was you that we gave food to. And it was you that we gave drink to. And it was you that we laid hands and laid hugs and laid our heart on. It was you that we kissed. And so I pray that you would open our hearts to see it, to believe it. If you could move on me like you did to help a little lady from Bulgaria at a time that she so needed it. 
then you will, you will help. All these people are yours, just like she's yours. Lord, you don't love people in Bulgaria more than you love people in America. You love us all. I pray that every need be met, everything supply. Lord God, that every one of these precious people need. However you do it, however you send the help, we thank you for your mercy. We say what those ten lepers said. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. And let your mercy reign upon us and upon this church and this community like rivers of manifested grace. Let our hearts be cleansed of all religious uh, prejudices and all things that would block us from seeing this world through your eyes. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. I, I want to do this because it just hit my mind and I think the Lord is going to take me 30 seconds. I read this yesterday. St. Francis of Assisi wrote this. This was his daily prayer. He wrote it. This is what he said. It's real short. St. Francis kissed the leper. This is what he wrote. And he said he prayed it every day. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not seek much O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we ourselves are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. That's St. Francis wrote that. Amen. I love y'all. God bless you. Invite somebody for next Sunday. Go and sin no more. Amen. I love you.